Talk to me, like you talk to someone you love. Zapraszam, Joanna Chmura. Słuchajcie, najpierw będę chwilę po polsku z Wami się tutaj powitywała. Chciałam przedstawić Witana po polsku, gdyby te osoby, które nie lubią do końca słuchać po angielsku, to potem to nagranie będzie umieszczone na YouTubie i tam będą też napisy w języku polskim, więc spokojnie posłuchajcie. Ale chciałam Wam przedstawić już dzisiaj. Eitan Shapira jest człowiekiem wielu talentów. Jest człowiekiem, który jest artystą. Jest człowiekiem, który jest wykładowcą na MIT Sloan Business School. Jest, robił też projekty dla, dla mogłam tu całą listę wymieniać, ale jest człowiekiem, który łączy w sobie intelekt, serce i ducha i te sfery sztuki, biznesu i to wszystko, co, co dzieje się w kreatywnym procesie, nie dosyć, że to ma w sobie, to jeszcze uczy tego innych. I o tym dzisiaj porozmawiamy. Porozmawiamy o rzeczach związanych i ze sferą biznesową, i z kreatywnym procesem, ale też z taką sferą osobistą, życiową. Jak sobie radzić w tym, co nieznane, nieokreślone, co jest chaosem, co jest trudne do ogarnięcia. So, I just told them, you are here to solve all the problems. Oh my goodness. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I, just, I just told them the amazing combination, the moment I met you that I saw. The amazing combination of your mind and spirit and intellect and empathy and vulnerability and all that, that your body encompasses within the structure, the physical side of it. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're here and I'm so happy that uh, Julia connected us and uh, we could do some other stuff together, uh, some other projects. But for now, I'm, I'm so glad that you joined us and that you'll be able to answer some of my questions and hopefully some of the questions that are going to come up via Facebook feed. So welcome in Poland. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be with you. I'm really glad that Julia connected us um, and I'm just excited for our conversation. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, actually, I had a different question listed as the first one, but like two minutes prior to our um, Zoom call, I decided to switch um, to a different question, more personal one, because I thought sure. we're going to go into the business topics and creative processes later on. But for now, if you were to answer the question that goes like, what did pandemia, the whole COVID-19 thing, teach you? What was it or is it? I'll speak uh, a little bit from an art background mm -hmm. to answer your question. Okay. And I would say to make our whites whiter, mm -hmm. to make the creams creamier, to make the bold moves bolder. And when we don't, when there's areas that don't need um, attention to not give them the attention. Mm. And maybe the last thing I'll say is that the moments that are quiet that serve the other moments in the painting, make sure that they're quiet mm -hmm. and make them quieter. Mm -hmm. So in other words, just um, to be more and more connected to our intentions. Mm -hmm. And what did you say yes to during 2020? And what did you say no to? In short, it's my values. Mm -hmm. It's um, no to the things that weren't bringing me the agency, the, the things that make me alive, mm -hmm. the things that bring um, 
my aliveness, uh, the things that serve others to bring out that in others. That's what I said yes to. Mm-hmm. And what did you say no to? It's a great question. These are great questions. Um, I would say, what did I say no to? Um, the part of myself that is, has unnecessary suffering. Mm-hmm. The part of myself, um, yeah, that's curious in an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. And when the, it's hard to say when it started because we all know it was a process of unfolding the COVID-19 and bringing it to all around the world. But if you were to pinpoint the moment you realized, oh shit, it's there, you know, we're doomed. We're, you know, we're going to have to stay inside and like all the things that we were accustomed to, like cinemas, restaurants, um, schools, universities, lectures, giving lectures, giving talks, visiting companies and blah, blah, blah. The moment you realize that it's all like closed and nobody knows for how long. What was your first reaction? How did you feel about it? And what did you think about it? It's just the amount, you know, I'm trying to bring myself back to that moment when I realized, like you're saying, what was going on. And I feel like um, it was, I was scared. I was scared because of the the leadership. Um, Not just the people who are there making the governmental political decisions and policies, but our leadership. Um, Great leaders need great followers. And if you make a great choice and no one is following, it doesn't get enforced or the reverse. Um, We have, it's just a very complex thing. So I was nervous for that. I I was nervous that I don't know if we're equipped to do this. Uh, and I don't think we're equipped for dealing with change individually. And um, you might need more practice. Yes. And how, does, how did it affect your, your because you, you're a company owner, you have your own company called Tilt. How did it affect you as a, um, as a business owner? You know, uh, great question. I, I lost some projects that were really um, significant to me um, because I felt that they were really there to support many people. I had been doing uh, virtual, like this, Zoom, uh, Facebook, so on, uh, connections to people um, and projects for a while. Um, so that wasn't necessarily, in fact, I was really prepared for this mm-hmm. um, in many ways because of the global nature of what we do. But I, um, I just felt, and I, and I still feel, that we need more of this work. Mm-hmm. And it's more, you know, I was working on increasing people's ability to change. Mm-hmm. That's the intention. And increasing our capacity for, for, for many reasons, and specifically for the reason of, can we change together? Can we get closer to our intentions? And, and when we're doing this, I said, wow, man, this stuff is so important right now for so many people. So how do we do more? And how do we get to the right people in the right way mm-hmm. so that their work can serve others too? 
How do we get to that so that it radiates outward? By the way I practice, the way I do things, I could model for those around me. So who are those people making those influential and um, moves and how do we support them in the challenges they're facing? Mm-hmm. I assume that your clients that you used to work with or you still work with, but prior to pandemia, they, once it ha- started happening, uh, they probably had a set of questions they, that kept on coming. In my case, it was, Joanna, we, we need to talk to you about emotions, like dealing with difficult emotions, dealing with stress, dealing with anxiety. And these themes kept on coming, coming up and coming up. What was the theme or what was the question that kept on coming back from your clients once the whole thing started? Mm. Or was there any? Yeah, a lot of it was in collaborating in silos. Mm-hmm. How do we support as leaders others in collaborating silos? How do we as leaders um, work with uncertainty and ambiguity? I don't know what I'm like. I'm, I'm I, whatever you know. And and oftentimes you know, if if everyone knew what they were supposed to be doing, we wouldn't need a leader. And so leadership happens, and leadership is needed when we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so we had a bigger question there. It was like, what are you doing as a leader? And let's, let's start leading from right now, you know, in a different, in a different way. In a, in a, and so that was a very big um, move for many people. And uh, yeah, and then th- those are some of the biggest things that came up, right? When I think immediately the things that came up, now it's a little bit more around, okay, so now people are thinking about or considering coming back to work. And so we're supporting teams and people and companies Um, think about, well, some of the people are back, some of the people aren't. How do I, how do we relate Mm -hmm. in that space um, where, you know, how do we come back to work? Yeah. Yeah. But you, uh, you mentioned something about leadership and I want to piggyback right on that because uh, if you were to describe the biggest shift in leadership style or leadership level or leadership paradigm, again, prior to COVID and, and, Meanwhile, and, and now, what is the, the biggest difference in your um, opinion? I think I want to say in two parts. I know you asked what's the one, but I, I think it's something around interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. And what I'd say is that I think it's not that we weren't interconnected. It's just didn't we didn't, especially in the States, but I think globally, as a leader, it's my role. The, the, the perspective is usually, it's my role, it's my, and, and leadership is the ultimate team sport. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately about an interconnectedness between others, coaching others, catalyzing others, bringing others, bringing them towards a shared vision, but we need all the different parts. And then, and, and, and that kind of interconnectedness and recognizing the interconnectedness mm-hmm. that, oh my goodness, I actually can't do this on my own. Mm-hmm. I'm in my ho- I'm in my home, and this is like we we all need each other, and it's just a recognition of that. And now, with that kind of awareness, is oh my goodness, well, what do I do about it? Well, you've actually been doing it this whole time, but now, how do we work with that? And so that was, I think, the biggest shift. And the other one with that, that's kind of connected to it. I'll say for a second, is internal, and what I mean is that. We have so much, including myself, so much stimulation from outside, 
When I don't know what to do, I look at the TED Talk. I go read, read the articles. I find out what's going on. Like, where can I go to find out all this information that can support me? Make it like it's an external to fortify, to strengthen, give me data, tell me something. And in this moment, but it's always been this way. But in this moment, it was became so real that it's actually internal. There's no one who has an answer. There's no one who's going to tell us what to do. There's no one that, because we don't know. And so ultimately, it's a call for that internal, I have to go inside, know what my values are, know what I believe in, and show up with the agency and say, this is right. Mm -hmm. And that's scary. That's a different kind of risk. And ultimately, that's the kind of risk that we're always taking. We just couch it with the other things. Yeah. That became really real. Yeah. And when you mentioned the internal journey that we needed to actually <laughs> do, I think my experience is that for some people, it was a, a really scary experience because they've never done it before. And they were all, as you, met, as you mentioned, it's, it, it also was a, a fantasy that we can rely on something external. We, we never could. It was just that we had an impression like a, we wanted to have something to rely on like a script or a process or a, or a person that would give us the answers, but we never did. But what COVID did to us personally, but also us as people, as teams, as groups, is that we sort of had to rely on ourselves, but also the further we got, like with social distancing, the closer we needed to be in order to make things happen, which, was, which is a crazy idea. Like we need to separate, but we have to fight back to stay as close as possible. So my question to you is, if there are still people right now watching us or will be watching us, afraid of the inner journey because they've never done it, what, what would be your tips <laughs> or suggestions or insights, uh, especially in the leadership role? That's a great question. And I think, um, I, I mean, I really agree with you. It's, um, My biggest tip, if I was going to say the one thing, it has to do with practice. Mm -hmm. And it's not that there's something to acquire, like I'm going to now then be able to do this thing. But mastery of any kind, which is... Uh, it, it, it's an ongoing thing. It's not that I'm now able to do this. It's now I'm, I'm able to be an artist about it. Mm -hmm. And the artist is a practitioner. She's someone who's always evolving and changing. Mm -hmm. And is after that, um, what Dweck would say is a, is a growth mindset or after um, a bigger development of some sort. And so I would say maybe two other things about practice. And the most important thing about practice is that practice makes permanent, mm -hmm. not perfect. Mm -hmm. um, if we practice the wrong things. And so my tip or my idea or my perspective on it is that it's, you're better off practicing and getting it wrong, mm -hmm. but practicing it right. 
-hmm. and feeling uncomfortable than giving yourself the experience that you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Um, And knowing in there that, no, I I kind of cheated a little bit, you know? And so practice it and have compassion and integrity with the practice. The practice is the process. The process is the practice. And, um, and whatever those things are that you're committing to mm-hmm. practice sta- standing. And this is hard standing for what you believe in, for the people you believe in, for the things that for you matter in this moment. Mm-hmm. And that's hard as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, because of competing stakeholders and perspectives and so on. Um, yeah. And, and the last thing that I was saying, that it's kind of a tag to this, would be enable others to practice. Yeah. Yeah. And so as a leader, if you're modeling that practice, that's most important. Mm-hmm. By just being in it and practicing, right? And then reflecting, even out loud. Wow, you know, that didn't work or that did work. Yes. I wasn't expecting that. And then that enables others. What can I do to allow you to practice yeah. in the best way? Mm. Yeah. And I think it has to do a lot with empathy because if me, myself as a leader, have the capacity to um, stand by the discomfort of other people failing or whatever failing means, uh, if I can do it for myself, there's a huge chance that I can do it for others, which means because in, in there's a definition of empathy that I mostly use by Brenda Brown. And that it, there's one point it, um, in the definition that points to uh, understanding the other person's perspective and showing the, not only understanding it from the cognitive uh, point of view, but from, from your heart. Like I can imagine how hard it must be to, to experience that. And I don't think the... Le- that would be exaggeration, but like half of the leaders I work with were not taught this skill. And empathy is sort of a skill. So going back to what you said, when enabling people to fall, learn, get back up requires myself to be able to do the same and hold space for them making the mistake. Especially and especially when there are stakeholders and you know, all the things that we know that business is sort of built for. <laughs> It's really hard because the pressure from the top, I guess, uh, is sometimes so hard that it's it's really a matter of values. Like, what do I value most? Honor this or honor the experience of the person that I work with. And the clash is sometimes unbearable and the pressure. So, so my question is, from your experience and the experience of working with other leaders, how do you manage the, the, the pressure between those to processes like horizontal and vertical. Yeah, I, well, I wish we could um, do it together right now. We get a group of people and, and actually just try it real quick in, in, in a different way. But I'd say the first thing that I'm hearing what you're, in what you're saying, which is so rich, is just kind of, because um, that clash is so real, is, um, is the way we listen. And to listen to someone else's perspective, I have to drop my own. I have to actually drop my judgment, my ego, my ideas, my thoughts, and just listen and reflect back to you, even if I disagree with you. Is this what you're saying? Did you just say that and then repeat back? And give the other the real experience of being heard. 
That's the thing that we're, that's, and that's the relational part that I'm hearing you and that what you said has value. And I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next, how I'm relating to that, what I think of you, what you're doing next, how it relates to the project, how it relates to this. I want to know your perspective. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure I get it right. Is that what you're saying? And then you get a chance to say back to me. I mean, those are basic things and they're so difficult because we lose them. That's not how I taught my daughters to listen at first. They just, you're born, oh, she heard everything I said or she didn't hear what I said. Or so, but then it's, it's how do we actually engage in that feedback cycle to ourselves and to others. And then it's the clashes of perspectives. Oftentimes that a lot of that clash goes away if each person experiences being heard, just that alone already will drop so much of it. You know, just if you, if you, if you ever go, like you sit in a room, in a boardroom or in a conference, you know, whatever it is, um, and you're having a session and then you know that like often I, if I'm facilitating like a multi-stakeholder meeting, there's all these people and, and someone will say something and then all of a sudden all these hands will go up, um, excuse me, and all these eyes and the eyebrows and shoulders, everything just goes up because someone has some, everybody, has, and it's that experience of like, okay, once I say it, once I say this thing, I know it, everybody's just going to calm down. And then you say it and then you, you calm down and then you look around and even more hands go up. And like, what's going on? Oh, that was for me. Oh, that was for me. My shoulders went down. That wasn't for you. If you get to that moment yes. when you're fully in the feedback and that people are just there to say what they need to say into the room, no one's listening except for that, oh, trigger something else I want to say. So that clash can go away when we relate to each other. Mm -hmm. And then when we come, because we're actually listening in that relationship. The other part is the long game versus the short game. In the short game, we need a solution right now. We need answers right now. We need to innovate right now. We need to, and so that, 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 that happens and that pressure and cooker that you're talking about is because we haven't taken the time up front perhaps to relate and to listen. So if we give in the long game that thing up front and have the bravery, like Brene Brown would say, and the, the ability to step into each other and the courage to listen mm -hmm. and drop mine to listen to yours. And if everyone was to do that and we had support a culture that's doing that, well then the long game, when it comes to those complex things, the real tough, when we actually clash, which is necessary to innovate, like we better clash, but in a productive, healthy way that's generative. If we're already having that relational thing up front, then it allows that to happen better. And we see that working in lots of um, places. We're yeah. practicing that yeah. actively. Sometimes I feel, uh, sometimes I feel really as if I had this extra knowledge, extra, you know, wisdom or an extra tool or skill that I could give to the people I work with. Like they haven't heard it before. Like this is some, this is the secret. <laughs> now it's going to work. But sometimes I feel so weird experiencing the idea that you just described, like, like listening is the secret sauce. Is this, you know, is the X factor, like just listening, or as you mentioned, taking perspective, like taking perspective from a different perspective, withholding your judgment until you, you actually hear somebody finishing their sentence and only then jump in. And it's, it's sometimes so 
yeah I, I it's sometimes hard for me to charge people for that because it's like it's a it's something we, we we should be taught while growing up but we just either we we're not or we stop doing that because the the, the environment that we're in um doesn't approve of it or that the, they like um different skill set uh, in place so i so agree with with listening with withholding judgment also the perspective taken when i was watching your ted talk I, or I, I watched um i don't know if it was a ted talk or or this talk you had about change um and you show cubists oh yeah when you when you look at that painting you are asked, your brain is asked to actually drop the perspective that you're accustomed to and try to see things differently. And that actually goes to my next question, which is how do you think artists or creativity itself? I know it's a huge phrase, it's a huge topic, but how artists, creativity, uh, different forms of expression can help us dealing with what we're doing right now? Yeah, I think one, uh, there's a couple of things that, that, that something that stands out to me is when you're saying about the cubist is um, cubist perspectives are often in, in, a, in a short way or a way of describing it is seeing one thing from many angles at the same time or one thing from many perspectives at the same time and the challenge with that is that those paintings start to get muddy and they turn gray and brown and it's because it's so when you see multiple perspectives at the same time it's just hard to hold many perspectives at once including your own your own just becomes one of many which is really hard for any person to do i'm like looking at my own perspective i have a perspective on my perspective and i see all the others and I say wow and they're all true so now what are we going to do and so what that is, is perspective might not just be what we usually think about as a two-point perspective, an artist might say, or a three-point perspective, whereas like the two-point perspective is, you know, two lines of the road making something farther away and something closer. Three-point perspective starts to be in relationship to what's above me and below me and how I move in this space around me. And then beyond that, we have four and five, we get multiple perspectives is what we're at. And then I start to get dizzy. And then I start to have to hold, and that capacity and, and not trying to resolve that dizziness. That's the trick because I get, I want, whenever I feel tension, I, I want to resolve it. Yeah. I just got, I shut my eyes. I want to resolve it. Uh, HR, you know, you know, our role is to come in and solve the problems, you know, resolve. And what part of the tension actually supports generative things. And the challenge with that <laughs> is that, we don't have, often, we don't have, I should say, a lot of the people I've worked with over the past bunch of years, leaders, what's scary and difficult about it is that they're so, um, this, the, the amount of success on the other side of the, of the tension isn't available to us. We don't often go into, so we don't, why would I go into this? if I don't have experience coming out the other side and succeeding. Mm -hmm. Because often every time I go into it, it gets really nervous and then people get divorced, right? People having to, uh, we don't, oh, okay, boom, it's done. People break up. 
We split up a company. We form, so we, that's our experience of it. Not that we break this up and then people connect or we don't think. And so, and a great product was done for the bigger vision of our organization, for people in the, it's all these things. And then in that experience, then you, it's worth going into the tension. Yeah. And so, and then you stay and hold that tension. And the reason why I'm saying that is artists, my doctorate work and the understanding creative process and creative practices of people for maybe two, 3,000 years, refined processes in art, dance, music, poetry, in those, one of the core principles of what they do as a practice every day is stepping into holding many perspectives mm-hmm. and shifting those perspectives. And if we could take you know, the saxophone, the brushes, uh, whatever the tools are away, and we just take the core practices and that build a culture of self-reflection, internal and external conversation back and forth, et cetera, then we might have some really rich and valuable tools and practices that we can apply in other fields. And that's the core, I think, uh, of that work. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying about tension because it's, I think it's the, it's the, the skill we need desperately right now. Like, how do you thrive while you're feeling tension? Or is tension really real? Or is it just our perspective on experiencing the reality that we create the tension. Maybe tension is, not, tension is not there. It's just that we're sort of sticking to one perspective and not exclude, like uh, opening up to different ones. We create the tension itself. Um, um, you, you were mentioning artists, musicians, dancers, painters, um, all cooks, I guess, all, all types of creators. Um, and going back to your own experience of being a, a creative artist, or still doing that, how, how did it affect you personally, being able to sort of experience what you've experienced, what you've gone through with dealing with unknown, with chaos, with the not predictability, with the things that happened to your, um, uh, to your studio and your gallery? Like how did that, your history or your experiences from the past as an artist helped you uh, in dealing what is happening right now? You know, um, I, I would say first, like my background in art making, uh, I painted for uh, about 12 hours every day, six days of the week for 20 years. I remember when you mentioned it for the first time during one of our conversations, I was like, have I ever done something like that? Like, like breathing maybe, <laughs> so maybe I'm an expert in breathing, but I was just overwhelmed of how much, I guess, love must come. You know, the source of that activity or that amount of time and energy and, and emotional you know, um, flow to do something for 12 hours for that long period of time must come from a place of love, I guess. Sorry for the interruption, but I'm always overwhelmed. For me, it's like, um, it's love. It's, uh, it's a discipline. Um, 
there's a lot of flavors to it. You know, it's not always uh, um, any one thing. And then I think mostly it's a commitment and it's a commitment to something from the people that I've experienced doing it in, in many ways, it's a commitment to something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would you do anything for Torah? Is it just for your It's like something bigger than yourself. And that commitment to that, that drive is like what, what moves. And, and I think that, um, that, you know, that long in the unknown is a, is a long time. It's a life uh, practice of not knowing and of not knowing uh, and navigating, not knowing, I'll share more about what I mean. And we're talking about different competing perspectives a moment ago. And I'll say like, what happens when those competing perspectives are with yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, so what happens when I work on something 12 hours a day for a month and then I'm trying to work. It's not because I'm not doing it for a month because I'm good at it or it looks good it's because i'm having a frustrate i'm trying it's not working if it worked it would have been done i would have started in the next painting i was like wait no it's not working it's not working and then a month later you figure out what's going to work or you have a hunch about what might work and then you're going to take 12 hours times a whole month mm-hmm. and just take another color and just wipe out you know 12 feet of something you've worked on and so executives say well what are you going to do um, and, and, I, and I show, how, how do we work with risk and how do we work with challenge and how do we work when we don't know? So I bring them and I show them like a Rembrandt piece. We go to an art museum and I'll bring out a piece of a Rembrandt where he did just what I'm talking about. You know, he would work for a, 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 on a print in, um, in etching, you know, so he would, he would carve it into metal. And he was scratching into metal. You, you can't use an eraser for that. stuff. So he was in the metal and then he would print it. And then a month, you know, like, the equivalent of a month, he would spend all this time doing iteration after iteration. Then he decides, wait a minute. I think I figured it out. Now that piece looks gorgeous the way it did. He's Rembrandt. I mean, it's, but then he's willing to erase all of it. He'll just scratch it out of the metal. He can never get that back. Mm-hmm. And that risk, it's a risk to the same things. What is it? Like ultimately, what are we risking? We're risking our reputation. We're risking our livelihood, we're risking, in his case, and in many of our cases, the future of an industry. Mm-hmm. We're risking all of our colleagues and their livelihoods. Oftentimes, many of these artists that, that, I, you know, that I'm in a tradition of or a background of, um, you know, they might be working for the royalty or they might be working for the church. They're risking a lot of stuff. I mean, this is life and death in many cases in their artwork. And so that's what's at risk. And I'm willing to cross it all out for the gift of something else that might help me grow, give me a new insight, give me a bigger perspective on my perspective. And maybe one other piece to say about how art in this relationship that's coming to mind is, you know, with competing perspectives with myself is that I might art there's an argument for like, why should art be in education systems, right? And then why should art be in this and take away from leadership and corporate and, 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 and business that, that, I'm, that I'm very involved in, but just in education for a moment. And it's funny to say Justin, um, it's actually incorrect to say Justin, but to say about education for a moment. Um, art is a practice 
that ultimately has to do with, you have to go internal in order to go external, in order to understand how my relationship is what out there. So for example, which you can't often do unless you're taking the art of biology. You can't do that in biology when you're studying how the chemistry, and you have to have a certain set of things like biology that you have to know about in order to do it properly. And then the art part of it is the internal external. For example, I, I am looking at a landscape, but then I start to get the colors. And now I'm starting to engage with something internal. I touch the canvas and I'm looking out there and I'm like, wait, that's what I see? So now I'm relating to myself and to the landscape. I'm looking at the problem, the challenge. I'm looking internal. I'm looking at the skills I have and what new skills will I need to do this? And I'm seeing it in real time on the, on the okay, no, 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 I've got to change this. Wait, that's what I see? And there's this ongoing self-reflective thing where I'm improving my relationship to what I'm seeing. I'm understanding about myself. I'm looking out weird. I'm putting all of it on the table. There's no lying. You know, I'm just, it's on the canvas. What am I going to do? So each time it's that conversation and that cycle, that feedback loop, is what we're working on when we're developing our leadership. That's our transformation, that the internal work that we're working on. That's the practice. But I think reversing, maybe reversing is a wrong word, but if you start with the internal to actually later on go to external, this is not, I guess, this is not the way we've been taught to do it. We've been taught sometimes to do the other way around, but most of the time just do the external. Like, don't think too much, don't feel too much, just do what you're told or do what, what's, what's in the test or, or check the boxes. And, and you touched on the, on the you know, in Poland, uh, maybe around the world, but um, the educational system is, is, is just, is just wrong, I would, I would say. It's just, it's just, it's just split over. It's, it's, it's upside down. And you, uh, I think Ken Robinson was the one that, that um, mentioned beautifully um, with his own style uh, about the necessity of changing the educational system. And I've watched his TED talk like a month ago for the hundredth time. And I think his TED talk is dated on 2007-ish or something. And still in 2020 and 21, it's still valid, which makes me angry and sad, but at the same time hopeful because I think the huge shifts, again, like incorporating arts into giving arts one of the top positions in the educational system, maybe it's a huge shift, but I think huge shifts happen, but it takes time. So my question to you right now is going back to educational system, what needs to happen so that people deciding what we're taught actually think, oh, okay, Math is fine, biology is fine, but let's incorporate dance or, or arts or painting or whatever else. Like what needs to happen, Nathan? <laughs> Just give me an answer. <laughs> like ooh, how long do we still yeah. need to wait for? I don't want to deny anybody their, their growth and their learning. So we can't give answers, but what we can do is give questions, right? Um, and, and the kinds of questions we're asking. And I can just share with you the, the question that I think about is 
I don't, I would say that I don't think that it's a question of STEM or STEAM, you know, the, the STEM, and then you add the A. Can we add A, art as a subject? I think we should just leave it at STEM. Those are the most critical things in the growing world. And the A is the plate on which you serve all of it. Mm-hmm. Without the A, it, 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 it's not a discipline on its own. It's a way of understanding all of it. It's, it's the ultimate way to be able to move between different things is that moment uh, in maybe middle school or high school, depending on where we are in the world and whatever, where you realize that the Greeks and the Egyptians are actually happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. When you realize that you need chemistry to understand biology, you understand biology in order to understand physics. You need physics. When we start to say, oh my goodness, and the way I write completely impacts the way I write the lab report. And so I better learn how to be a better writer so I can do a better lab report to ultimately publish. To be re- and it's like these things where we realize that all the things that the cross, uh, what, what Kurt Fisher would talk about when we talk about skill development, the moment when we take from one domain and we transfer across other domains mm-hmm. and our, our skill from one domain to another domain. And, or, 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 yeah, or a gardener would talk about the different domains, whoever we're taking from. And I, and I would ultimately say, A, the art is the plate that we serve, um, that we serve it all on. And, um, and it's hard, you know, uh, and it's hard and I understand why it's hard. I wanna bring up the other perspective mm-hmm. because we need measurements. Mm-hmm. How do I know if you're doing it? And when a leader, if I take it out of education for a quick moment and I, and I put it into leadership and, and organizational work that, that I do, and they say, well, how do we measure it? How do we know this? And science is really good at measuring the things that science can measure. Mm-hmm. And rather than saying, like leaders, the work that we have to do, all of us, is instead of blaming it or saying, well, that's not measurable by my standards, Mm -hmm. so it's not measurable, it's not useful. Actually say, what might I have to do to develop better measurements and better skills to include this? Because I'm actually not prepared yet with the measurements for that. And then there's a question about risk. Mm -hmm. This is hard, it's scary. I'm risking my reputation. I'm risking making it slower. I'm risking um, the, the, the nerves and, the, and the, 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 I'm going to fail, be vulnerable in front of other people. I'm going to do all the, I'm risking all these things. And I'm going to ask another question. If you don't do it, what are you risking? What's the risk of not doing this? And look at our planet. Look at the decisions we're making. Look at our leadership. Look what we're choosing in as the leaders that we are selecting these leaders. Look at what we're, um, look at this circumstance of not doing it. And that we can measure. Mm-hmm. And now we're in trouble. <laughs> so, so the challenge is, is we might not be prepared yet. And there's no way we're going to find out unless we go there, we do it. And we, we don't have time. We have to start practicing it immediately and hope that we can build the skills as we go. Hope that we can build the tools as we go. 
hope that we can bring each other along as we go. But if we're listening, if we're willing to look at that canvas, you put something on there and say, that doesn't look like what I thought I see. What can I learn from this about myself? Maybe I, that's not the real reality. Maybe this is a real, whatever it is that I'm working on, um, we'll hopefully get there yeah. together. <laughs> yes. Um, I was, <laughs> are you a Karate Kid fan at all? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> now on Netflix, there's this Cobra Kai whole TV series. Oh. Um, yes, it's a, yeah. Yeah, and I, I got, yeah, I just started watching it and, and binge watching. And there was one scene when the, the long story short, but uh, it, it, it's going to, um, I'm going to build up to a question. So, so <laughs> stay with me. So there's this scene where this, this main character is, is fighting in a tournament and his mother and his grandmother are joining in the audience to see him fight. And the mother says, I'm so scared if they're gonna, you know, hit him hard and he's gonna, you know, had a, 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 a bleeding nose or whatever. Uh, and if he's gonna win or not. And the grandma, um, uh, Latina, sits comfortably and she says, you know what? It doesn't matter if he wins or loses because either way, he's gonna have a lesson within it. Like either way, he's gonna learn how to win or how to lose. And I, and, I, and I didn't expect that like 11 p.m. watching Cobra Kai, I'm gonna have a life-changing experience, <laughs> but I did. Like there's so, so, because you were, you were mentioning the process of, of you know, following the, the unknown and letting it to unfold itself and not having the, the, the measurements or the results or the, the outcome properly outlined. It's just, it's just about trust that whatever happens, even if the external measurements are gonna say, oh, Joanna, you failed. I, there's still something for me to learn. So I'm still gonna unfold something uh, that you know, is important to me, not to the work probably, but, but so sort of wrapping up the conversation, but uh, based on the Cobra Kai experience, what is the biggest lesson that th you think that we need to um, take seriously from 2020? Uh, uh, as we enter 2021? That's a great question. And I love the Cobra Kai thing. I, I, I'm not familiar and I think that's great. Yeah. I, I think it would be um, you know, I would say that it's the danger with the new normal. Mm -hmm. And the danger for me is that you know, things can't go back to the same way they used to be. We need a new normal. And we don't know what that's going to be, but what's the new normal? And what I would caution all of us um, around is the perspective on what the new normal is. And is the new normal another version of here's how things operate and my understanding about how things are. It's a fixed new normal. And rather the new normal is ongoingly shifting and ongoingly changing. The new normal is an understanding that we need to practice our comfort around change ability, that things will keep shifting and changing and moving. And that and and that's that's my my offer or my challenge for all of us 
is working with that that reality and what you know parts have to be stable for that change mm-hmm. what what things do i need to keep grounded in mm-hmm. uh and then what are the things that i have to kind of at my edge you know keep changing in order to keep myself my family the people i care about the things that i care about my values my belief stable and moving mm-hmm. um so that is the balance that i would uh, offer us and and about winning or losing like cobra kai and so on but you know um i would say with that new norm that that idea that things are moving and shifting i you know when we're uh when you put your head at your pillow at night maybe this the measure of success is how close was i to those values that i believe in so maybe i made some choices today and maybe things blew up and maybe they didn't and maybe they were wins maybe um by measures that i'm counting for success in my company in my organization with relationships and so on but learning as much from the wins as from the losses mm-hmm. um not that the wins say this is where i'm going and the losses say this is where i'm not going but actually how close was i to my values whether i won or whether i lost how close was i in the practicing of you know and how do i keep my relationships over my transactions mm-hmm. the, the, the almost the last question but you inspired me with what you just said has have your values changed over the course of 2020 have my values changed that's a great question um you know i i'd say they keep um fine tuning themselves mm-hmm. um and evolving but i'm always in touch with them you know like before our call yeah. uh today i said to you um i think we were talking when we were we were talking i said so here's i'm trying to remember how i phrased it but something around at its core here's my intention mm-hmm. and here's what i actually orient to for our call today here's what matters whether or not i don't know what questions you're going to ask me i don't know what i'm going to say but my intention ultimately you know was to and i think i said it was to serve to serve others and to stay with my um integrity to liberate people mm-hmm. in any way possible for themselves mm-hmm. uh to give themselves a permission in a way in another way to do the things that matter the most yeah. whatever we can offer ourselves for that permission to stay and stick with the things that matter the most as leaders and that will ultimately keep us at our highest performance and so my orientation to whatever was happening and if this is a fail or this is a win or this is whatever it is like cobra kai or, you know you're saying is just like if i hit that intention in the way i communicate with you and i imagine these people around us that are listening um it'll always better i get at that the better we get yeah. and actually the, the magic is in what you're saying because uh, i just read a com- one of the comments uh, on the facebook page is that uh because you may think that what you're saying is a way of serving and maybe liberating the people that are watching us 
but I want to share a comment that from from a, from a girl that says I don't understand the thing because it's in English, but the tone of voice <laughs> just gives me chills and calms me down and and brings peace to my heart. So, see, Ivan, maybe <laughs> words are not necessary. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe that's why music is is so liberating and serves us. Um, so I just want to share with you that not only what you says, but the way you say it um, serves and liberates. So, yeah, you're, you're um, <laughs> I just, whoever that is, um, thank you. And I want to, and um, I hope you can hear my voice that uh, we need each other, you know, to do this. And your practice matters to me, you know. Um, and that's it. I think also, like you're saying, you know, that the, um, painting is what I talked about, but music, dance, those are the things that we don't have words for. Mm -hmm. That's why they exist because there aren't words, even poetry words in the structures that we have, we don't, we're not able to, poetry allows us to put them out of structure so that they actually do the things that we don't have words for in that way. Um, and so I think um, that's the other value. Yeah. Is there anything you want to share with us um, as, a, as a way to say goodbye or uh, you want to share something important before we close up? I just uh, to say thank you to you for um, having me here, for putting this together. Uh, I really cherish our conversations always, offline, online, wherever we're having. Um, and I learned so much being with you. Um, I really believe in what you're doing. Um, and it helps me grow um, when, I, when I'm able to connect with you about them. And uh, yeah, and that may the hard work that we're all doing, the hard work that we're all doing serve all of us. Mm -hmm. so thank you yeah thank you Ethan yeah. so much słuchajcie bardzo wam dziękuję byliście i po pierwsze wytrwali i tutaj widzę, że, że ciągle się coś pojawiało więc bardzo wam dziękuję za udział tak jak powiedziałam to będzie nagrane też na Facebook na YouTube, więc będziecie mogli sobie obejrzeć jeszcze raz mam nadzieję, że wynieśliście z tego nie tylko coś dla siebie, ale też znaczy dla siebie przede wszystkim, ale też dla zespołów rodzin systemowo dla świata więc dzięki jeszcze raz za udział, widzimy się za miesiąc 8 lutego jest zaprosiłam Gosię Ome, która porozmawia z nami o pokochaniu siebie a tymczasem dobrej nocy Wam, a ja z Ejtanem jeszcze się tutaj rozmówię na Zoomie, trzymajcie się, pa! Talk to me like you talk to someone you love. Zapraszam Was do serii moich rozmów, wywiadów, podcastów. Joanna Chmura Talk to me like you talk to someone you love. Zapraszam, Joanna Chmura.